welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Hebreos 1, 1 al 2. Dios, habiendo hablado muchas veces y de muchas maneras en otros tiempos a los padres por los profetas, en estos postreros días nos ha hablado por el Hijo, a quien constituyó heredero de todo y por quien a sí mismo hizo el universo. This is the word of God. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have of being here. Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. That was awful. Good morning. Um, thanks for being here. If you're new, welcome. My name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. We're excited that you're here. You're here on a day when we kick off a new series. So Church at the Well typically preaches through books of the Bible. We just kind of start at the beginning of a book and we work our way through it. I'm not exactly sure how long this is going to take, especially if we're going to do two verses at a time, but we'll eventually get there. <laughs> Um, so we are diving into the book of Hebrews. So I spent a lot of time praying about, Lord, what book should we go into next? Obviously, we just finished James, and we've had some one-offs here in um, August. And so I thought we were going to move into Romans, but I really felt Im- compelled, especially after Scott's message and then Matt following up last week, that Hebrews was the right choice. So if you've never been to church or maybe it's been a really long time. The book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. It is a book that we don't necessarily have firm understanding of who wrote it. We know it is uh, that had some sort of relationship with an apostle. Many say that Paul wrote it. Others say that it was some contemporary of Paul. Regardless, um, it is full of amazing insights that kind of connect to the Old and the New Testament and ultimately help us understand that Jesus is supreme. And that's really the ultimate message of the book of Hebrews. So as I was processing through that, thinking, okay, Lord, in my own heart, what is it that I've placed over you on a consistent basis? What is it that I say in my life, Kevin Scott's life, where I put something above Christ, or maybe you've heard me say, where is the gospel not being applied to your life currently? Kind of the same thing. Um, And there's places that even as we grow as Christ followers in our sanctification process that the Lord continues to remind us that, hey, you've you've missed some things. Um, As Americans, we're kind of spoiled, and we tend to place a lot of things above Jesus, even within the church body. Um, jobs, success, relationships, money, ambition, uh, marriage, kids, all of these things that are good things, but ultimately can become an idol. And what the book of Hebrews is going to do is it's basically going to suggest in every way possible that Jesus is sufficient and supreme over every single thing in your life. And the ultimate challenge will be that if you find something or an area of your life where Jesus is not supreme, then it's our job to begin to pray that the Holy Spirit will move to remove the idol that's there and place Jesus at the forefront of that. Um, So Friday, this coming Friday, September 1st, will be my 27th wedding anniversary to my wife, which is an awesome thing, right? That's pretty cool. Thank you. Um, and I, we talk all the time about the issues that I have in our marriage, right? Because I'm a mess. And she puts up with a lot. I'm kidding. And we, um, 
I, I was just thinking through like, somebody asked me, I mentioned that to somebody this week, okay, 27 years, and, and, and when you start getting past like 20, the loves probably get this all the time because they're past us, when you get past 20, people are like, what's the secret to marriage? Like, how do you keep it together? What is, and I, and I always say, you know, marriage is really hard. You're taking two messed up, dirty, rotten sinners, trying to unite them together in one flash. We both bring in a bunch of baggage, and it's hard. So what keeps you together? And I said, the only thing that keeps us together is making sure that Jesus is at the center. And what's fascinating is when I get into conversations like that, people will say, well, it's, so it's not like date night, and it's not like, you know, you just put Christy, or she puts you above first and everything, and I'm like, actually, no, it's the opposite of that. It's putting Jesus first. We, we struggle in our marriage when one of us doesn't put Jesus in that supreme position in our marriage. It's that foundation where when something's going wrong, that we've had moments where you know, in every relationship, you're gonna have arguments and we grab each other's hands and we hit our knees and we just begin to pray. Because we find that one foundation, that one thing that never changes. And I just use that as an example to say that could be anything in your life, right? Success in this world, in this life, is going to be directly related to how you view Christ. And so as we dive into this book, you know, we went through the book of James, and I said, the, the, the book of James, I kept saying it over and over, the book of James basically puts a mirror in front of you, and it asks you to stop pointing fingers at everybody else and really evaluate your own heart. Hebrews kind of does the same thing, but a little bit differently. It's asking you to evaluate areas in your life where those idols might be and replace it with Christ. So if you're new to church world, or like I said, you've never been in a church before, this is a great place for you to start. Especially in our Boston culture that obviously tends to be very religious, or you'll hear people say, oh, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I don't love the church, or I, I don't know really what I believe. This is gonna help. And then lastly, it's gonna help us tie this message of the Old Testament. Matt. Pastor Matt last week dove so much, so much verse, right? Like you just, he was embarded you with information of what it looked like to find Jesus in the Old Testament. And the book of Hebrews reminds us that the Old Testament is basically like, Jesus is like a bud. But the New Testament, it's where he blossoms. And when we look at the Old Testament, if we don't see Jesus, we're misinterpreting. And Hebrews binds all of this together for us. So, that's where I want you to kind of think as we go through this series, and we're just gonna dive right in. So here we go. Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. For Christ followers, this should be an emotional verse. And the thing that really strikes me is that God spoke. We live in a culture that says, is there a God? Right? Is there this being? Is there this higher authority? Is there this thing that has created all things? And um, as you, hopefully you'll attend evangelism class, and as you think through like, the way that you present the gospel, oftentimes we have to take people back to the beginning because the first question that people have to be able to answer is, does God exist? And then if we get to a place where you say, well, it appears by looking at creation and looking at other things and logically, okay, it doesn't appear that we're an accident, God does exist, 
then who is this God? And if there is a God, how do we get to know him? Like, how do you get to know him? The only way that we can truly know God is if he speaks. It's, it's like any other relationship. Like, we have historical figures that we talk about all the time. If you go to history class or whatever it is, it could be anything. George Washington, right? So I know a lot about George Washington, but I've never met the man, right? I, I can read some things that maybe he said and wrote, but I, I never met him. In order to have a relationship with someone, in order to really understand them, there has to be this communication that takes place. They have to ultimately tell you about themselves. This is who I am. This is what I feel, this is what my expectations are, this is how I think and process information. In any relationship that we have, that's key. Right, to say that somebody's your friend that you never talk to, really, right? This happens in marriage all the time. Well, have couples come in and say, man, we haven't talked to each other in like 10 years, and I'm like, wow, that's rough, right? You don't even know each other at this point. The fact that we have a God that not only created and just didn't step back and go, ooh, wait, this is gonna be a cool experiment. Let's just see what happens. But he said, I want you to know who I am. He reveals himself, it says in scripture, in many ways. He reveals himself through general revelation, which means through the creation, meaning we have these moments where we can go and look at something in creation and it makes you feel small or in awe, it can be a sunset, or it can be a sunrise, or it can be standing near the ocean, or it can be on a mountaintop. It can be just going out to Pierce Park and just looking at the harbor and being overwhelmed with the beauty that you see. And in those moments, there's something inside of us that says, okay, I'm small, I feel insignificant, it can't just be about me, this world can't revolve just around me, so there has to be something else out there. The problem with general revelation is that even if you come to the conclusion that there is a God through creation, it's impossible for you to take, oh, there's a God that created, and oh, wait, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I need a Savior to come, and that Savior's Jesus, and he's going to die on the cross for me and be raised three days later. Somebody has to say that. God doesn't just reveal himself through general revelation. He literally spoke. He cares enough about you as an individual and us as just humanity in the world to reveal himself to us. He doesn't long to be distant. I often will talk with people and they'll say things like, I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is in my life and I don't know what to do. And the first thing we have to wrestle with is that is you understand that he's not trying to hide it from you, right? It's not that he's going, well, I'm this mysterious being up here and I don't want you really to know anything or find anything out about me. He, he speaks. It says in this passage that he speaks in many ways and in different forms. When you go through the Old Testament, we find that he speaks through things like a burning bush, right? He speaks through a donkey. He speaks through storms. He makes 
himself known to individuals. He, he reveals himself to the prophets, specific messages. If you read the Old Testament, it's individuals standing up and saying things like, thus says the Lord. They're declaring that God has provided a message to an individual who then stands up typically at the well and pronounces to everyone who he is and what his expectations are. What's going on that's wrong? When we think back all the way in Genesis and the creation and you think about the way that God spoke to Adam and to Eve, there's this, this beautiful invitation to join this Trinitarian perfection. And it says that Adam walked with God and spoke with him. And we have moments where Moses would spend time with God and it says that he would walk out of the tent and his face was just glowing with the radiance of the Shekinah glory of God so to the point where it freaked everybody out so he had to wear a veil. And he's just spending time with the creator of the universe. God spoke. There's these moments in our life no matter how long you've been a Christ follower, where your, your understanding of who God is and your ability to communicate with him seems to vacillate. Let me explain. There's these moments where it feels like God might be distant and I'll pray and it just feels like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. And you go, God, are, are you there? Like, are you listening? You know he's there, but it, it can almost feel like he's this being that's out there that isn't necessarily caring about what I'm saying. And then there's other moments in my life where I feel like every single thing I say, he almost responds immediately. There's this kind of tug. And what this passage helps me understand is that in those moments where I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling, it's not him that's moved, it's me. Because God speaks. He speaks through his word. <laughs> um, I think I gave a statistic not that long ago that the average Christ follower in the United States reads their Bible approximately two minutes a week. Two minutes a week. So an individual claiming to know Jesus and claiming to understand that God speaks and claiming that potentially this is the word of God spends about two minutes a week in it. And I, I, I've, I've wrestled with that. Like, what prevents the church from really looking at scripture and listening to it and hearing it and understanding it? And what it really boils down to is, I, I think if we, we understood that this is actually the creator of the universe speaking to us personally, that we might take it a little bit more seriously. Um, social media is crazy. I don't have no experience anymore with it. I can't do anything anymore. Um, I'm still doing like, Face Twitter, you know, whatever it is. Um, but it's interesting with these cell phones that we have is that when somebody texts you, 
you have a tendency to go to it right away, which is great. I love that component of texting, right? I know that if I text somebody, they're probably gonna get it, they're gonna look at it, they may not text me back, you know who you are, but anyway, <laughs> um, we look at texts pretty regularly. What if the urgency of hearing God speak was similar to that of a text? What if as you were walking around the city, like all of a sudden your, your, your phone vibrated and it was like, hey, this is God, I'm just here and you can hear me speak to you. We have the gift of prayer. Statistically, once again, when we look at Christ followers, it says that very few individuals understand that prayer also involves components of listening. Right? That's a major relationship issue. Right? So for you young ones, as you get ready to have relationships, especially you guys, the, the girl you're dating wants you to listen to her, not just speak all the time. Right? God's the same way. It's like we're throwing things constantly up, maybe. But are we listening? We take moments to just listen to the Lord. We have a God who speaks. It's overwhelming to think, to think that the creator of the universe throughout history has found many different ways, many different modes, many different times to speak to his creation is humbling. Because then we have to personalize it. I don't know why God would want to speak to me. But he does. He speaks. He's not a, he's not a distant God. He's not this God that it doesn't want to know about you or doesn't want to reveal himself. He speaks. When we think about just God in general, oftentimes I think we, we, we think about, oh, well, there's maybe several gods out there or there's this thing out there that just is so far beyond mysterious that there's no way to connect, and yet he speaks. I've hounded this enough. God speaks. Verse two, it says, but in these days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He makes this shift. I used to speak primarily through individuals, through Christophanes, which was Christ in the Old Testament, through these crazy events that would occur through nature, through things like, I mentioned a donkey, or just giving messages to a prophet that would stand up and speak, but there's a change that, that Old Testament, that way that was being spoken of, it had a point. The whole thing was intended to help you understand that there's this promise all the way back in Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelum, the first gospel where a Messiah, a Savior is promised. And the rest of history, as God's speaking during these Old Testament times, is literally saying something different is coming. Look for it. Wait for it. We get this moment in the New Testament where 
and an individual shows up. His name was John. He was a baptizer, and he shows up, and his entire job was to just tell people, the Messiah is about to come. And some of you haven't been listening to the God who speaks. And if your heart's not ready, you're going to miss it because it's not going to be what you expect it to be. Many of you think that it's going to be this political thing where he's going to come in and like raise Israel up to its glory days of like King David and King Solomon. You're going to be like, that's it. But he's not going to come that way. The Old Testament says that. Many of you expect him to just show up in like some kind of ray of light where, you know, I, I mean, we've thought about this. Like, what, why did Jesus choose to come then? Why not come now, right? And then CNN would have been there and all of the social media would have been there and everybody would have been like, boom, there he is. The scripture points out he's coming in humility. He's coming with a purpose. He's coming to fulfill everything that was established in this old law, everything that God spoke to humanity about, it's Jesus that's going to fulfill it all. It's this buildup. Like Hebrews begins with this buildup of going, God spoke, but something miraculous is coming. As John the Baptizer is saying, don't miss it. Get your heart ready. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Even John the Baptizer points at Jesus and says, there he is. Like, I would have loved to have been there in that moment. Right? Like, it's, it seems so unassuming. Oh, that, that, oh yeah, there, there he is. He's right there. And then John makes this amazing declaration. I must decrease, he must increase. Why? Because the author of Hebrews would say, God's going to be speaking through this individual for the rest of known humanity. This is where we're going to see everything. All truth is going to come through this individual. Salvation is going to come through this individual. Religion is going to be based on this individual. Let's break this down a little bit. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The author of Hebrews defines Jesus as the son of God. If you've grown up in maybe Catholic world, um, you hear about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Maybe you've represented it through like symbols on a cross or whatever it is, but this identification of Jesus as the Son of God makes him divine. It, it reminds us that Jesus is eternal, that he's always been there. Jesus was the plan from the beginning. One of the most important doctrinal components of Christianity is understanding when Jesus was the plan. If you want a fancy word, we call it orderus salutis. Can impress your friends. It, there's how we view Jesus coming as the plan and when that occurred actually dictates quite a few things in our theology and the way that we live. 
and I'm gonna make this as simple as I can, you, you, there's kind of two options. Either God is completely sovereign, and like it says in scripture, before he created the world, he knew you, he knew Jesus was going to do the plan, he knew that man was going to fall, that Jesus was gonna come and sacrifice himself and be raised again. Or, your other option is that God is responding to something that he didn't necessarily expect to happen. And that was interesting to me, because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm visual, so I think through that conversation, right, that God like creates Adam and Eve, and okay, there's the tree, don't do that, and then it happens, and he's like, shoot, didn't see that coming. And he has a little council meeting, right, with Michael and Gabriel, and he's like, what are we gonna do? And Jesus is like, I'll do something about it. And the land's created. But God, Jesus being eternal, he, he, he's, and God being completely sovereign, Jesus is there always. Like I think, what a weird way to save the world, but if it was always the plan, then it makes perfect sense. Second person of the Trinity. This is important because we understand that when we think about humanity and its creation, Adam and Eve were put into a garden of perfection. They had this close relationship with God who speaks. They were invited into this Trinitarian relationship and I remember having a conversation with somebody once who goes, you know that God can't do one thing. I'm like, oh really, what is that? He said, God can't worship himself. So. Worship has to come from humanity, and I'm like, that's not true. God is a trinity. What does Jesus say? I've come to do the will of the Father. He worships God the Father. What does the Spirit say? I'm listening to Jesus. I'm here to glorify Jesus. That's worship of Jesus. The the trinity that existed before creation was in perfect harmony, perfect connection. There's nothing that it lacked. When mankind was created, he was invited into that perfect Trinitarian community in love. So what makes the fall so horrific is we said, I know that's perfect, but we don't really want that, right? Jesus was there, he's in perfect Trinity. Why is that important? It's not only important because Jesus is also God, but he, he also understands what perfection is supposed to be. So, Knowing that, knowing that Jesus, before creation, lived in perfect Trinitarian love and harmony and communication and pure perfection, and that he shows up and says, okay, I've got some things that I'm gonna teach you that can help you see some of these things in your own heart, that can draw you back to a component of this Trinitarian love that you've been missing. I mean, it's never going to be completely fulfilled, we know, until he comes back. But in Christ, we get to experience that again, a little bit. Every single thing that Jesus said while he was on this earth is God speaking. Like, we don't have much about when Jesus was a little boy. I've talked about this, it would be weird, right? But like, hey mom, morning, that's God speaking. (laughs) Right? Everything that he says 
is divine. Everything that he says is perfect. Everything that he says is truth. Why? Because it's coming from creator God, whose scripture says cannot lie and doesn't change. Call that the immutability of God. It never changes. Hebrews is gonna dive into this really cool ways. So every single thing that Jesus says and does is representing God the Father through God the Son, and it's always true, and it's always accurate, and it's always perfect. And as we process that, then it means that when Scripture's saying that God is now going to speak through Jesus, it means that every single thing he says and does is important. It's uncontestable because it's perfect. We live in a culture that's constantly saying there is no absolute truth. I thought when I was growing up, the postmodern culture, so I guess I fall into that realm. I don't even know what the new one is. So that's the one I fall into. That's very postmodern to say, by the way. Um, My generation kind of began to really push that. There is no absolute truth. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And we just kind of live in our own realities and we create what's true. And Jesus would say, no. Not accurate. Because everything he speaks is truth and from God who created all things. Which means it's not only accurate and true, but it's relevant for every single individual who exists. Sometimes we'll get into, you know, you get into debates with people or having conversations and um, read something hard in scripture. There's often times that I'll read something in scripture and if I'm really honest with you, I'll be like, I don't like that. I mean, I know it's true, but I don't love it. Nobody loves to be called a constant, dirty, rotten sinner who has to be saved by grace. That's not great. Nobody loves to be called sheep, sheep or dumb. Nobody loves that, right? We have these these moments where maybe I'm reading something, I'm like, I don't really like that, I don't like the way that that's speaking to me. (laughs) I don't like the way that's convicting my heart, I don't like this or that. And then it makes me feel a certain way. And I get into conversations maybe with people and they're like, well, I remember talking about a doctrine in scripture and an individual who was close to me said, that feels oppressive. And I'm like, well, I understand from a human standpoint where you're coming from, but we're no longer talking about truth, now we're talking about philosophy. Because no matter how I feel about something, everything that Jesus said is true. That's important. Because if I feel a certain way about something that's true, and then I respond to my feeling over the truth, 
the problem isn't the truth that's been presented, the problem is me. And that's hard to hear. I don't like that one either. But this is who Jesus is. When, when God says, I'm sending my son to fulfill all of the Old Testament laws, to Matt, Pastor Matt talked last week about the curtain being torn, this separation that is no longer there between mankind and God as it's bridged through Christ, through Jesus. Every single thing he says is important. He says, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. If we turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, it says this. He is the image, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This is important. So, it says in Hebrews that through him also he created the world. He's the heir of all things. Jesus has three roles that we can relate to the Old Testament prophet, priest, king, He comes as prophet, he takes the message that the Old Testament prophets have given and he fulfills it and he explains it and he shows himself to be the fulfillment of that and what he does and what he teaches and what he presents. He's priest in that everything that's religious from this point forward has to be with Christ at the center. He's the head of the church. And then in this one, it really emphasizes he's royalty. He's king. This is a hard one for us to grasp. We live in a country that doesn't have royalty. Well, not real royalty, right? We'll raise people up kind of to that, but we don't really grasp this, that that someone can really have pure sovereignty, that when they say something, it actually happens, that people like jump and do it. That if it doesn't happen, that there's actually consequences for it. Jesus is also represented as king, that he's the heir of all things, that not only was he there at creation, it says in Colossians that he that all things were created through him, but all things were created for him, for him, meaning it's his kingdom. He's king now. Scripture says he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's king. He, he owns it all. It's, it's, not, it's not a who knows more. It's not a I'm gonna attempt to justify myself to the king. The king is literally saying, I did this, I spoke this, this is truth. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what good you think you've done. If it hasn't met this, it's nothing because he's king. He says that everything was created for him. This is where 
everything gets interestingly personal, right? If everything is created for Jesus, then that means you were created for Jesus. It means that your ultimate role in life, you know, as people say, well, what is my role in life? What is my purpose in life? I'm gonna like lean in, I'm gonna tell you right now, this is your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to bring glory to Jesus. That's your purpose in life. You can do that in a whole lot of different ways, right? As we're on mission, wherever it is that we, he's got us, we're giving glory to Jesus and everything that happens. That's our purpose in life, why? Because he's king, because he's God, because it's all his. Which means that every purpose that I have outside of bringing glory to Jesus is actually purpose that's been invented by me outside of the kingdom. And that gets humbling, because I've had a lot of those. And you have too. The greatest complaint of the church since its inception has been this idea of, and you'll hear it even today, just a bunch of hypocrites. And you've heard me say this before, just a bunch of hypocrites. And I'm like, you're right. We are. We say we're gonna live one way and we don't do it. But so are you. You say you're gonna live one way and you don't do it either. So if you look around, you can go hypocrite, 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 and then you gotta look at yourself and say hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. We don't live the way that we say that we're gonna live, right? The, what Hebrews is pushing us toward is this, I guess today it would be this push against this idea in our culture that what you really need to do is find yourself and who you are. I battle with this. It doesn't mean that we're not different. We're all created in God's image. We all have different gifts. Scripture talks about that. We all have different things that the Lord has purposed for us to do. But ultimately, every one of those things has one ultimate purpose. And what is it? To bring glory to Jesus. So I think, man, I'm out there looking for myself, and Jesus is like, I already told you who you are. I already told you what you need to do. Well, I need specifics. Great. Then go do what you're doing that day and bring glory to Jesus doing it. And guess what? You're fulfilling your purpose. The book of Hebrews brings all of that back. This leads us back to this idea of Jesus being supreme. Why is he superior? Why is he supreme? Because it's all his. Scripture tells that one day Jesus will come back and it's gonna look a little bit different when he does. The description of Christ coming back looks a little bit different when he came the first time. It's intense. It's a little scary. And frankly, it's hard to understand. But he comes back saying, judgment's coming. What is judgment? It really is boiling down to who lived for the glory of Jesus. Or who spent their time just trying to make up their own purpose in my kingdom. 
when we process things that way, it sounds so simple. Just walk, wake up every single morning. I told you my goal, my goal, it, never, it doesn't always happen, but my goal is I want to wake up and ask the Lord through his spirit to help me glorify him in all that I do, and then I want to go to bed knowing him better than when I woke up. That's, that's my goal, right? That's, that's our goal. That's, that's what we're after. And then in the process between that waking up and going to bed, it's, Lord, you've given me some tools and a major tool in your spirit that lives inside of me to help me glorify you in every single thing that I do. Which means, as I'm walking to work, I can bring you glory. As I'm doing my job, I can bring you glory. As I'm spending money, I can bring you glory. As I'm helping someone else, I can bring you glory. What does it mean to bring glory to Jesus and what we do? It means that he is the most weighty thing in your life. That he's the one that gets the credit. That you're doing it out of a motivation of this being his kingdom. You're doing it for the king not for ourselves. That's, there, there's these, these, these things that feel so heavy in that. It's like, man, that's a big responsibility. It is and it isn't. Because then he also says, my burden is light and I'm giving you all the tools you need to glorify me. So really, we don't do anything. We just become a conduit. Lord, Jesus pours grace into you and you expel grace to others. And when it's the grace of Jesus being expelled to others, that's glorifying Jesus. You feel love in Christ and you expel that to others. You feel forgiveness in Christ and you give that to others. And then when somebody says, why are you forgiving me? You say, because I was forgiven. I'm not good, he is. And so the responsibility is there, but this isn't intended to be like, whoa, so heavy. This is intended to be, do you realize the privilege that you have of representing the king of the universe on a daily basis? If you're a Christ follower, you have opportunity in everything that you do to show others the work of Jesus and glorify him in it. There's moments where, I, I think about moments where I've, I've blown this, where we all have these stories. Holy Spirit's convicting you to do something, and you're like, my own kingdom says no. My own kingdom says I need to be at the meeting on time. My own kingdom says I need to do this. And the Holy Spirit continues to convict and continues to convict. And then because Kevin's kingdom is more important than Jesus's kingdom, there are times when I go, no thanks. And do you know what the sad component of that is? Jesus is gonna be glorified anyway because he's king and he's sovereign. But I didn't get the privilege of participating in what he was doing and get to use my life in that moment to bring glory to him. Who misses? Me. I miss.
In the book of Philippians, this idea of bringing glory to Jesus is tied to joy in a very practical way. That the true understanding of the human heart, when it's doing what it was purposed to do, produces a joy that can't be removed. (laughs) And when that joy exists, it's contagious. We see this in scripture. This is how individuals who went to prison were able to sing and praise God in the midst of it. Why? Because even in prison, in the midst of what's going on, no matter the circumstance that I'm in, I can still bring glory to Jesus. And when I bring glory to Jesus, as a created being, I'm doing what I was purposed to do And that brings me joy. And that joy motivates me to bring more glory to Jesus. That's pretty cool. And then we sit back and go, I didn't do it. All I did was use what the Lord has given me under the right motivation knowing that he's king. This is why Church at the Well and Christ-honoring Bible-teaching churches hold to such high Christology. It's why the most important word that you should hear in any Christ-following circle is Jesus. Because it's all about him everything. It's all about what he said, what he's done, and what he's doing, and what he's going to do in the future. This is why we make such a big deal about him. This is why it's so important. This is why to say, well, I like things, but not sure about that Jesus. This is why, well, I think Jesus might have been a cool dude, and if we were, if I was there, I probably would have hung out with him a little bit, but I can't buy into the fact that everything he said is true doesn't work. Because you're denying his kingship and his godhood. And you're attempting to create a kingdom of your own in a, in a, in a place that's impossible to do it. I want to read this one more time. And we'll finish up. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is superior. So what do we do with it? It's so, I geek out on this stuff. It's so cool to talk about theology and who Jesus is and what he's done and all of these things, but if we don't apply it, it doesn't really make a difference. It's, there's this, there's this disconnect often between the head and the heart. Some of you are built more where you feel here. I'm kind of that way. And your emotions are there and everything's built around this and oftentimes it doesn't reach the head. And then other times 
Some of you are built in a way where you're very intellectual and you think with your head constantly and the disconnect might be your heart, which prevents you from making what Jesus has done personal. And I don't know, I know some of you, but we have to wrestle with this. To make this personal, we have to understand how we process, how we think, and the reality is, regardless of what we think and how we process, this is truth. And so how do we apply it? We apply it first by this. I mean, if you're here today and you're like, man, I've been seeking. Like, I could tell you your story. I know that you've probably tried a lot of things and it's all failed you. There's probably somebody in this room who walked in and you went, I'm here because somebody's gonna buy me lunch, which is not a bad reason to come. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. Well, I can tell you why you're here. It's an invitation to remove yourself from your kingdom and enter the true kingdom. And it doesn't require anything of you but humility. It's impossible to get to a place where you say Jesus is Savior without first understanding that you need a savior, so the first thing we have to do is come in contact with our own depravity. Wow, I've been building my own kingdom here and it doesn't work. It's always the same result. So maybe, maybe this isn't about me. Maybe this isn't about me building my kingdom. Maybe this isn't about me finding myself. Maybe this is about the truth that's presented. So what do you do with that? Well, we have to come to the place where we understand that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner and I can't do anything about it and I need a new perspective and I need to be saved. And so this is the gospel, the good news, right? That Jesus came and lived the life that we were supposed to live, that perfect life, and he died the death that we deserve and three days later he rose conquering sin, Satan, and death forever. And he says, you have the opportunity, any at any moment to accept the kingdom of Jesus over the kingdom of you. And you enter that kingdom through faith in what Jesus has done. So if you're here today and that's you and you're saying, man, I, I don't know Jesus personally. I, I don't, like, okay, God spoke, but I don't know that he's speaking through Jesus. I don't even know Jesus. Then here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. You can come talk to me if you like. Pastor Matt's over there, but probably the best thing you could do is turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, then say, can we go get some coffee? I got some questions. Because here's the reality. It's not about me either. There's saints in this room. All the saints are is just those who profess faith in Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Have a conversation. Or maybe you're at a point right now where you're going, you know what? I need to talk to somebody right now. Great, you can come find me, you can walk toward the back, turn to the person now, I bet you they'll take you to coffee now. What about for the church? This book was written to individuals of Jewish descent who were believers and under persecution. And the persecution was coming from two places and we're gonna get into this in the book as we keep moving. There wasn't like this physical persecution yet. That was coming, at least 
Historically, it hasn't come yet. But there was this political persecution. This, oh, those are them. So there was a separation, but then there was also this persecution that was coming within the Old Testament Jewish belief system to say, you guys are suffering for no reason because you've walked away from the true traditions and you need to come back to what you believed before. Ultimately saying, it's not Jesus that's the new way, the way. It's not Jesus who fulfilled it all. So you're still stuck in it. That speaks so clearly to the church today. Do you know how many options you're given on a daily basis to abandon the kingdom of Christ? To create your own kingdoms? It's constant. That's all commercials do. Something needs to be placed of supremacy, right? And then everybody's trying to vie for that position. So how do we apply this as a church? It's simple, but very profound. We have to be willing to dive in to say, have I truly been leaving with Jesus as supreme? Where are the areas that I've separated him? What's my kingdom and what's his? Sanctification means you're being completely set apart. That's what it means, it's a process, but What are you being set apart for? It's almost like if you can picture it, you've got your kingdom and you're building this kingdom and the Lord's just systematically breaking it down slowly and sucking you into his. But what we like to do is we kind of keep a toe out, right? (laughs) Or sometimes we just jump out of it. Scripture defines this as being a living sacrifice. The hardest thing about being a living sacrifice is you can step off the altar anytime you want. We can choose to build our own kingdom. This book is challenging us throughout the entire book to say, we are gonna break down every single component that you can think might hold supremacy over Jesus and confront you with it and say, let's eliminate that so that you're fulfilling the purpose that you've actually been given in every area of your life. So what is it? Like, I can't answer that for you, but I know you know what it is if it's there. And we all have it. I have it. Where are the idols? What needs to be broken down? So we're about to do something religious, and we do this every week at Church at the Well. We take communion together. And the purpose of this is this gives us as a church an opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because any change that's going to take place in our life is only going to take place at the foot of the cross. So it's a, it's a submissive act, but in every way, it gets a little different, right? Like there's moments where on Sundays I'm taking communion and I'm just grateful, humble, rejoicing that the Lord is continuing to grow me. There's other moments where I'm taking communion and I'm repenting before to say, Lord, my week didn't look like you wanted it to look. And I spent more time building my own kingdom than yours. 
The only requirement for communion here is, I mean, you don't have to be a member of Church at the Well, you just have to be a member of the body of Jesus. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you're wanting to respond, my encouragement to you would be, no shame, don't participate in communion because I don't want you leaving here with this false hope that you did something religious and God's smiling on you and you're good because you're not. I love you enough to tell you that. Without Jesus, you're not good. So if that's you and you want to respond, talk to somebody. But for the church, what is the Holy Spirit doing? How is he speaking to you? This is your time. The band will come up, we'll sing a song. Communion elements are on both sides of the platform. You're welcome to go at any point. Um, And we just invite you to process through and pray through what is the Holy Spirit doing in here? David, the psalmist and the king, said that anytime we come in Psalm 19, anytime we come in contact with scripture, that it's supposed to do some things in us. So my prayer for you is that you don't just hear the truth of Christ, but you do something about it. Because otherwise, frankly, it's a waste. God, thanks for your word. Thank you for who you are. Lord, as Tony prayed earlier, I echo this prayer that anyone in this room who does not know the love of Jesus, Lord, I pray right now that you would regenerate their heart. You would remove the heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh, give them the faith to believe, give them the boldness and courage to ask the questions and humbly submit to Jesus. Lord, I beg you, that no one would leave this room without knowing you personally. For your church, Lord, we're a mess. We know it. But you're in the business of turning messes, turning junk into jewelry. So Lord, as individuals, we just pray that whatever it is that we're holding from you, whatever it is that we've put as supreme over you, whatever it is that is us building our kingdom and not yours, that you would reveal that to us even now. Convict our hearts and remind us, Lord, that you love us, that you care about us, and that you desire our good. So Lord, Encourage us where we need to be encouraged us, convict us where we need to be convicted, and give us the boldness and the courage to respond to your spirit. We thank you for this all in Jesus' name. Amen.